Hello, welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlet on the Twitters. And I'm Ben T. Travers at Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And we are joined today by a special guest from New York. We are in our Los Angeles offices, but today, as you can hear, we are clearly in our Los Angeles offices. Los Angeles traffic. Yep. But we have, calling in from New York, uh, our very own Casey Cipriani. Hello, everyone. Hello, my Los Angeles colleagues. Hello. How's, how, how's New York treating you? Oh, it's rainy and a little chilly, and spring has not come yet. That sounds perfect. I want to go. Let's <laughs> so you know what else was sto- uh, a little bit dreary and sad and gray was the world of Westeros. That is, yeah. that is not my finest work. Perfect transition. Perfect transition. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, winter is coming. Winter is coming, as we've been told. For ha- when is winter supposed to show up? I don't know when. Soonish, who knows? Spoiler alert for the end of the season, it becomes winter. Oh man, you don't know that, Liz. I don't know that. But I will say that we are issuing a spoiler warning uh, for the first episode of season one of Game uh, for, for first episode of season five of Game of Thrones, uh, which it premiered which premiered last night, if you're listening to this the day we posted it. And if you had any, if you, we're gonna, we're not gonna get fully into like full on hardcore spoiler territory, but there's some stuff to discuss, and I'm gonna see Casey. What did you think of the episode? I thought it was pretty good. Um, I tend to uh, uh, agree with your um, original season five review. I, I think it was B plus territory. It was a lot of setup, um, a lot of kind of checking in on characters that we left last season and uh, so you kind of have to get that foundation um, before you know any of the madness kicks off yeah it's interesting how I mean Game of Thrones the way it works these days it almost feels like episode 10 of any season is the mop up episode but nowadays it even seems to translate through to the, the, the next the season, next season premiere because there's so many right. pieces to put into place right and they tend to they, they have done that a lot the past you know since the show began, there was, you know, season one, episode nine was, you know, the big beheading of Ned Stark, and season two was the Battle of the Blackwater, and season three was the Red Wedding, so they have, they tend to kind of use that tenth episode to, to set up the next season, and it's it's a lot of foundation, and, and so is the opening mm-hmm. episode, in my opinion. I mean, for you, Ben, how was that as a viewer? As a viewer? Uh, I, I wasn't that intrigued by the first episode I feel like I've finally gotten past the point of just being utterly confused by all of the characters and all of the storylines which I'm always reminded of whenever I start a new season of Game of Thrones just how much is going on and how much I can forget in the off season um, and it's always interesting to me to talk to people when they first start watching it especially now when they're binging three or four seasons at a time instead of when they were just trying to get through the first or second uh, just how confused they are and how, how they reference people as that guy who knows that short dude or, you know, the lady who was sold into sex slavery but now she's a queen. Like, they don't necessarily know the names right away, which is a lot of fun. But I think I'm past that, and for the most part, I was just I was just kind of bored. I wasn't that into this episode, so... 
It's worth noting that Ben is Ben is more on less on the Game of Thrones fandom side than than perhaps Casey or myself. I will still definitely refer to people as that guy and that girl and that dragon, but I mean, I will remember the one dragon's name because it's Dragon, which is just is it? I thought it was Drago. Drago. It's Drogon, guys. Drogon. Drogon. It's just a spin off the word dragon. I mean, come <laughs> on. <laughs> Wasn't it? Oh, aren't the names of the dragons from like uh, Daenerys's brothers or something? Um. Yes. This, I, I believe it's Viserion, which is uh, named after her older brother Viserys, and Rhaegal, which is named after her older brother Rhaegar. And all of these Drogo, names, and Drogo, her husband, her her yeah, her husband who's dead. Yes. All of these names still stem from the mind of George R. R. Martin, though. Correct. Right. I mean, the man who knows English as his primary language and remembered that this was originally a dragon, and then there's a new dragon with a name that sounds a lot like dragon. <laughs> You're making a very fair point about the name of this one dragon on the show. That covers one of the 78 characters that we need to get through. <laughs> so let's get started. Are we doing alphabetical? Are we doing by priority? What are we doing here? Well, I mean, Game of Thrones, I think this is such a, it's such a fun show at times to talk about. Like, you know, just earlier today, um, as I was, as we were working, I started reminding Ben about things like the magic smoke baby who killed uh, Prince Renly, and he had no memory of this happening whatsoever, even though it's a huge, oh. that's a huge event in season two. I blocked it out. It's I've moved past it. There's too much else going on. Well, in your defense, it was a pretty traumatic scene, so I don't blame you for blacking it out. Yeah, honestly, my biggest problem with everything around Game of Thrones is that it's just too sad for me. I can't handle this much tragedy in my life. I need to Ben, kind of you like The Leftovers. I know, but that has such, that has hope in it. I mean, it's really, <laughs> really strained. Like, it's hard to see the hope sometimes, but that's what they're all striving for. Otherwise, you know, they'd just kill themselves, so. Which happens, but, you know, whatever. Actually, how much suicide is there on Game of Thrones? I don't feel like there's a lot. Oh, I'm in on the leftovers. I don't oh. know if there's any in Game of Thrones. They're they're all too power hungry to kill themselves off. They've got delusions of grandeur where they're going to reach the throne someday that nobody's in control of right now. Just sit on it. Come on, take it over. But don't you have any kind of hope that you know one of the quote unquote good guys will rise above the quote unquote bad guys and either avenge people they've lost or or you know get to the point where, you know, they win or they take the throne? Don't you, isn't there anyone on the show that you root for? Uh, the short answer to that, which I'll give first before I give a very lengthy answer, which seems to be the standard for me, uh, is no, I don't have any hope for that. And the reason behind is because I feel like last season gave the, gave the perfect example of what the series' tone and expectations are in that Purple Wedding, am I right? The purple, purple Wedding. Purple Wedding. Uh-huh. When... You are so overjoyed and excited that King Joffrey is finally dead. This guy that we've hated for so long is now gone. I mean, it was glorious. It felt so good. And then, wait, Tyrion, the one guy that we seem to like throughout most of it, the saving grace of the show, is going to get killed for it. He's to blame. He's arrested. Your joy lasted maybe three seconds before you realized that utter heartbreak was to follow. And that's that's why I just can't have hope for anybody in this. Like, even if I wanted to root for Jon Snow, I mean, he's probably just going to get stabbed as soon as he sits on the throne. There'll probably just be a dagger poking out of the thing that just gets him in the wrong spot, and then, well, no more Jon Snow. Well, it is a throne made of swords. Exactly. Yeah. Be careful. 
Gotta be. You know what? What that strikes me though is what makes it very interesting to talk about Game of Thrones is that it's. Is this a show completely devoid of fan service? Like what? Which? Because I feel like I can't think of any. I mean, aside from like the occasional moment of like triumph for someone like Arya, it really is a show driven by just like the worst possible things happening to people and. That what makes that interesting to me is the fact that it is a show with such a devoted fandom and with such with such a you know loyal audience. Usually, that audience gets rewarded in some way with some sort of fan service. But almost Game of Thrones almost seems built on the concept that fan service is not what the fans want. Yeah, Casey, do you have any? I mean, you you are devoted to this thing. You're a big fan of Game of Thrones. So, is there are there certain memories that you look back on that are just fond, good? happy memories like oh I remember that scene that made me that put a smile on my face or or even just I was thrilled or excited or or teased well definitely um, I think it was season three uh, the scene where um, Daenerys is selling one of her dragons to the slave master so that she can get her army and you're sitting there like oh my god she's actually going to sell her dragon don't do it and then she basically takes a 180 and has her dragon torch the slave master, torch the slaveholders, and freeze the unsullied, and now is like, come fight for me as free men. And that entire sequence was just like, hot damn, that was awesome. So for me, that was one of the best scenes of the entire series, and that made me gave me that moment of joy and, and that you guys are talking about. But, I mean, it's interesting that you brought up fan service because as a series of books that is incomplete, like, even the fans of the show and the fans of the books, they don't really know what's, what's coming for them either. So even if, like, the books were finished and we were just watching the show, we 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 could have, um, you know, glimmers of hope to look forward to if we... if, if readers um you know knew what was happening but nobody knows what's going to happen i mean nobody knows if we're if we're going to get you know a a so-called happy ending for anybody nobody knows if their favorite character is going to die so it's really an interesting fan base in that everyone has simultaneous hope and despair about the whole entire thing because this could all it, it could all come crashing down and end in a epic depressing mm-hmm. winter of cold and death and that would be it and I wouldn't put it past George R. R. Martin to do that and I feel like you touched on this very well in one of the articles you wrote recently where you commented on the fact that George R. R. Martin's come out and said that somebody's going to die in this season of the show that doesn't die in the version of the books. Mm-hmm. And that makes it even harder for all of the fans to kind of imagine, because there's fans who don't read the books but will check up and see what's going to happen so they know what's coming, because they just can't wait. There's obviously fans who read the book, there's fans who avoid the books, like the plague, but I mean, everybody's fair game, and that really does make it right. much more questionable this year, like just much more could happen. Well, and I think in general, one of the things that's made the show stand out so prominently as in terms of as a quality adaptation of a, of, of a previously existing work is the fact that they have both 
stayed true to the books and the books whenever they felt like it, but have always been have felt free to take certain liberties. And I was actually talking with someone earlier today about um, the the portrayal of you know gay characters on the show, especially in the earlier years. And the thing he mentioned to me was that when he originally read the books, you know, ages before the show ever came out, like he had no idea that uh, you know two characters were lovers this whole time. And then, you know, he read something about how George R. R. Martin said, you know, if you go back and read the books, it's there. I put it in there. It just wasn't on screen. You weren't watching a dude shave another dude's chest on in the show, in the books. And he reread the books and he's like, yeah, it was there. It was there the whole time. And I think the fact that the show's been able to, when necessary, take the liberties it has and dig into dig deeper into its source material like that's that's made it really compelling i think for both fans and for both fans of the books and newcomers to the whole franchise it's interesting you brought up rereading stuff because i know a lot of people went back and reread um the scene with jamie and cersei after that episode aired where they it was shot like a rape but on the book read like a sex scene so I know that uh, you know a lot of fans have been rereading scenes where they feel like the showrunners have either misinterpreted things or kind of gone in other directions so it's it's it, I mean it's definitely happening more and more I feel like season one was kind of you know mapped out word for word the first book and and diverging has gotten um more and more uh, has increased more and more as we've gone through uh, other seasons and other books. Yeah, I wonder if, you know, I've if we took someone like Ben who's never read any of the books but is caught vaguely caught up with the show, we handed him book 4 or 5 and asked him to read it like we're not going to make you do this, Ben. Thank God. <laughs> Man, I would not but, make it. But if someone who was a complete, completely unfamiliar with the books was a- asked to read like a, a, a like the most recent book in the franchise, would that would they recognize it? Like, I mean, certainly there are, there are core characters who are fundamentally a big part of the show, but you know, certainly beyond that, there are other characters who you know are have completely different names and are in completely different geographic areas. Right. Well, uh, book four and book five uh, happen concurrently, happen simultaneously. Oh, that's right. Um, so, you know, book four, you've got all this stuff in Dorne, and you've got uh, a lot of stuff in King's Landing, and then book five is a lot of Jon Snow and Daenerys who weren't in book four at all. So I, we've gotten into this point where we're not exactly following a single book. We're following two books in two storylines, and when it comes to Bran, I mean, we've reached the end of Bran altogether, so he's not even in this season. Oh, yeah, uh, Bran Stark. Right. Not to be confused with Braun, who is... Who Ben really likes. Yeah, I like Braun, even though he has a very misleading slash just frankly insane quote in episode two. Uh, I won't I won't spoil that, but uh, what's interesting to me about Bran is really just that he needs a haircut, guys. Like, I mean, look at that kid. He could be doing a lot better for himself, but he is just... I mean, really, I you mean, gotta gotta cut that hair. It's not it's not the fact he's crippled from the waist down. It's no, that's the ha- not. That, that is the haircut. The haircut's the problem. There's no judgment in Game of Thrones. Everybody well, I think the poor actor hit a, hit that unfortunate, you know, puberty year where 
everything is awkward. So hopefully by season six, when he comes back, he'll have he'll have gotten through that. He's going to take a whole year to find the right look for Bran, and then everything's going to be better. There you go. Everything will be happy. Someone someone nice will be on the Iron Throne. They'll replace it with the throne of puppies. They're just gonna they're gonna combine Game of Thrones with the happiest show you can imagine, which at least for me was Parks and Recreation. So if they just bring those two worlds together, which has a commonality, since they, they, Ben loves Game of Thrones. Ben on the show. Not, ben on Parks and Recreation. Right. Not this Ben, but Ben on Parks and Rec. So I mean, that would be. I'd, I'd watch that spinoff. That could I mean, find a good level for me. <laughs> Here's, here's, I think, I want to bring this to the question of, you know, where the show fits into the landscape these days, especially when it comes to the upcoming Emmys race, which I know Ben is actively covering. I mean, we all have our sentimental favorites, but beyond sentiment, beyond just like looking at it objectively, what do you guys think is the factor that makes Game of Thrones an awards contender, frankly? Because, I mean, honestly, think about it. When was, la- like, when was the last time a show about which is fundamentally about magic and dragons and giants and zombies. When was that show last? When was that oh, that kind of show ever on the awards the awards season radar? Well, in terms of in terms of awards in general, the last time something like this really happened to such a grand scale was when Lord of the Rings swept the Oscars, um, and that's pretty much how I think of Game of Thrones, except to a lesser scale, like a smaller scale, even if it's a much larger world in a lot of senses. Uh, for me, the Emmys will always consider Game of Thrones as the technically superior but structurally flawed version that they have to reward because they have such a large component of people who vote on the production side. Mm. And it is a great production. There's nothing to complain about. There's only <laughs> things to admire when it comes to the beauty of the landscapes, the vistas, the cinematography, the set design, the costumes. All of that is flawless work. And that's going to keep it looking like a prestige drama. It's much like period pieces. Period pieces are often ignored on the writing side, uh, or even rewarded on the writing side, but it's simply because they look good. There's something that there is to ad- eager, eager to admire no matter what the content actually is when you boil it down, and I feel like that's where Game of Thrones is at. However, this year, with Breaking Bad out of the picture, True Detective in an off-season and now you know pushed over to miniseries, Somebody has to take the title. Somebody's going to have to win Best Drama, and Game of Thrones might be the best-case scenario, considering they've got HBO behind it, mm-hmm. and it's easily the most popular of the contenders. I mean, it's so fast. So you really, it, 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 it's such an interesting point to make about the fact that it production-wise, that it, the product, the production of the show is so important. Like, if you, if that, if the show was, if HBO spent half the money it did on the show, do you think it'd be in this conversation at all? Uh, I mean, if it used the people that are on it, then maybe because they're well, they basically awesome. doubled their their budget anyway since season one, and that's when they were first nominated, and that's when Peter Dinklage first won, I believe. So, I mean, more money doesn't necessarily mean more nominations, but um, I, I agree with Ben with HBO behind it and all of the production quality production value. I mean, it's it's a natural shoe-in for nominations. If it can take any wins, I think it might fall to the wayside like my previous, you know, favorite show that kind of fell to the wayside, which was Lost, you know, back in the day. Happy Lost Day, everyone, by the way. I know it was last week for listeners, but it's right now for recording. Yeah. Um, it's a special time. 
Yeah. And uh, so, I, I mean, I feel, I don't know that, I don't know that Game of Thrones could take that top win. I feel like our, the closest thing that it might um, be able to grasp again is, is in actor categories, um, especially for for Peter Dinklage, maybe for some of the new characters that are showing up. We shall see. You know, the Emmys don't like new characters, but you're right. If any show is going to be able to do it, it's going to be Game of Thrones, and they always have very juicy good roles on that show that, that allow actors to really engage. That's true. Do they have any lead actors? Like, I would say you could probably... Some, you, if you know, you're looking at the Emmys race, especially especially the best best male actor race, uh, you know, with with Brian Cranston out of the picture, who does do you submit Peter Dinklage as lead actor at Game of Thrones? I wouldn't switch anything up for Dinklage, not after he already won at least one of like he uh-huh. won the category. So you've got to keep Dinklage where he's at. Finding a new lead, finding somebody that you can really put your weight behind. I'm not sure who it would be. I'm not sure there's enough of a clear-cut person who takes up enough of the screen time and is likable enough to really, you know, win over enough Emmys voters. I mean, God, I- well, I don't know about uh, male actors, but judging from what might be coming up for Cersei this season, I'd say throw Lena Headey into that, Edie, however you pronounce it, into that into that Best Actress race. That's actually a good point. Uh, Lena Headey is a good contender. I've never heard people rave about Amelia Clark's actual acting abilities, but I think she could be she could be submitted certainly for that. The other thought I have, uh, you know, honestly, having seen uh, having seen enough of what I've seen, uh, I feel like Kit Harrington uh, as for for Jon Snow, like now that they've killed off all the other likable young men under the age of twenty five, <laughs> he's kind of the last man standing. Yeah, and, and it's it's good to note too that Hetty got her first nomination last year as a supporting actress. And oh. again, I'm not sure if they'll try to shift her into a new position because HBO's goal overall is to win as many awards as it can. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that you know with their plethora of other series that they have to offer, they'll be able to find a lead actor and a lead actress to to push in those categories to try to just sweep the sweep the board. Personally, I'm hoping that they get behind Justin Thoreau for The Leftovers. Not that that's going to happen, not that he's going to win, but boy, I'd love to see it. Uh, as, as for the rest of the characters, I think they're all... On board with the nomination for him as well. Yes. Absolutely. With you, Ben. Yes. Leftovers. That's actually... I actually, I don't... And as I, I'm, not, I'm not anti-Leftovers, but I'm not necessarily a Leftovers fan person, but I actually don't... I, I like Justin Thoreau as a, as a, as a lead male, but I mean, even on... But for uh, for a lead 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 female uh, lead female in a drama, uh, where do you, is there another HBO contender? Uh, um, not HBO, but I'm going to throw Carrie Russell out there. Yeah, Americans. <laughs> Man, Americans. The third season that would be something. I mean, it, who knows? The playing as you, as we've as we've talked about repeatedly, the playing field is smaller. Um, no, it's. I mean, I feel like the it's it's a it, because of the changes we've just talked about, like in in terms right. of what's 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 in contention, like it is a different race altogether. But uh, I think I guess and we're totally ignoring kind of like the whole network shows going on. I mean, Juliana Margulies will probably take the whole world or something. Well, there hasn't been a, there. I mean, there Juliana, Mar- you know. There isn't a lot of changeover on the network on the network side. Like they're going to submit the same things that they usually submit and all that. Uh, I mean, for you, Casey, 
in terms of when you see a show like Game of Thrones get recognized, what does it what does it make you think in terms of the audience that is engaging with the show? Do you think that this is a, you know do you think that audiences are now audiences both on the critical and the award side as well as the popular side are they all are we all getting better at accepting genre in our storytelling? I definitely think so. I mean, we have to understand that, you know, these this, this book series is first began in the 80s and you know, you can't underestimate the number of fans that have read them or have been reading fantasy for the past 30 years who were waiting for this series or for a series like it. I mean, it started to kick in in movies, like Ben said, with, you know, Lord of the Rings, and there have been fantasy films in the past, obviously, and there have been a lot of, there's been a lot of uh, rallying around sci-fi television, but, I mean, I can't really think of another fantasy series that has kind of taken on this kind of leading role plowing through the field and luring in those mainstream fans. Um, I think for a lot of people who weren't fantasy fans or fantasy readers, um, the, the, the lore for the show is that it is well done. It's well, the production values are really great. The characters are intriguing. And if you take away all the pretty costumes and all of the dragons and all of the zombies and the White Walkers and etc., it's really a political show. It's it's a family drama, and and people are attracted to those kinds of dramas. Yeah, I mean, it's all well said. You know, I was looking over the I was looking over the Emmy predictions just now for the Best Actress race, and I'd have to say that Robin Wright's in the lead right now. But honestly. If if HBO could have stolen just one of Showtime's uh, dramas and had it in their roster so they could make a campaign, I could be really happy this year because we're going to have Claire Danes for Homeland in the race. We're going to have Ruth Wilson from The Affair in the race, and then my dream pick over all of these things would have been Eva or would have been Eva Green for Penny Dreadful. Mm. And I don't think she's going to get any kind of support, and this gets back to the kind of fantasy, horror, sci-fi, alternate genre kind of material that we were just talking about, I'd love to see her get in there, but because Showtime already has two shows that they need to push, two actresses that they're going to give, you know, way more credence to than, than Eva Green, I mean, it'd be nice if that was sitting over at HBO and looking for somebody to get in there, and that's who they'd pick. So HBO, we have a solution for you. Steal Penny Dreadful, and then you've solved your, you know, it's either you either steal Penny Dreadful from Showtime, or you go... And you figure out a way to make uh, Lena Headey into your lead actor. Yeah, that or somehow Amelia Clark becomes lead and people start to really get behind her because of the new Terminator movie? I'm not sure. <laughs> and we forgot Orange is the New Black is stuck in drama now, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and she's going to be a wild card. I, I don't know how to even predict whether or not Taylor Schilling will get any kind of love on the drama side, uh, but, but she's definitely going to steal some votes from somebody. I mean, definitely. I think the thing. I think the thing that comes out of this conversation is the fact that it's a lot easier to talk about who gets nominated, who, who could be nominated for for lead actor in a in a TV show, than who could be act, nominated for lead actress in a TV show. But at least there's a lot. At least there's a lot of options, which is which is nice to see on the TV side, and not so, or a little more rare on the film side. A little more rare on the film side. 
So, you know, we're going to be keeping up with Game of Thrones, as always, on LindyWire.com. Uh, Casey will be doing our episode reviews. We'll also be providing the regular breakout coverage you've come to love and expect from us. Uh, other things that we're looking forward to um, covering and uh, talking about. Uh, I'm going to start with Casey, because Ben's making his I-can't-really-remember-right-now face. Casey, what was the last thing you really, you really liked watching? Um, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring and root for uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I think I've binged it twice already. I totally love it, and I keep singing the Pinot Noir song every time I open a bottle of wine. You hate singing it, or you love singing it? I, I love singing it. I sing it every time I open a bottle of wine. Excellent. Even not even <laughs> bottles of wine that aren't Pinot Noir. Chardonnay, Pinot Grigio, anything. Surprised you just haven't stopped buying other kinds. It's like you know that's stuck in my head when I go to the store. I guess that's what I'm going to get this week. It's the best advertising that Pinot Noir has ever gotten, and Pinot Noir has sideways on its on its side. <laughs> I think. <laughs> So, um, I will also spare Ben uh, the remembering, and I will say, I'm, I'm going to say I've, I've been catching up with Louie in preparation for writing my review of the season opener, and I mean, it's, it, we, we, I think we, we joked about Louie last week about how it was just like, oh man, it's just so easy to say that Louie's a great show, but it, it really is the kind of thing where he could be coasting right now. Like, he gets compared to Woody Allen a lot, uh, Louis C.K., in terms of his style, and etc. But the thing with Woody Allen is Woody Allen's just like, oh, okay, I'm going to make a movie this year. I'm going to do get cast my favorite people in it, maybe bring in some new people I like. Here's a movie. It's going to have some great performances. Maybe it'll be rem- you will, you'll remember it existed in two years. And not to say I don't love Woody Allen, but he isn't doing what Louis C.K. is doing right now, which is just taking what FX has given him, which is a modest budget and airtime, and really, like, found new and exciting things to do with television and approaching it from a cinematic viewpoint, but even beyond a cinematic viewpoint, to just, here is, here is, here is visual storytelling, and here are new ways of looking at the world. And it's so, it's such a singular show in that respect. Yeah, the interesting thing for me with Louis C.K. and Woody Allen, at least if you're going to try to compare the two, is they almost have opposite work ethics. Mm-hmm. Woody Allen wants has to keep working. It's all he knows. It's all he can do. Louis C.K. took a year off because he just needed to get away from it and refocus and come back with something different. I mean, you can see that in the final product, and a lot of Woody Allen fans wish that he would have that, but it's just not the way it works. Yeah, um, so, Ben, did you think of what the last thing you liked was? Uh, yeah, the last thing I liked was a pretty easy choice because uh, we've been covering it pretty extensively. Liz has been writing episode reviews of Better Call Saul this year, and I just finished it uh, last night, uh, a couple of days after the the, ser- or the season finale, season one finale ended. And uh, I would I would recommend it. I would, uh, I would strongly recommend a few choice scenes and a few uh, things that they built up to. It's not the same show as Breaking Bad, thankfully, Mm -hmm. but it's also not quickly ascending to the levels of greatness that a lot of people expected from it. Even if it was going to be a different show, I think the expectation of something great, of the next great drama, which is what AMC is really trying to find, we're still attached to it. And I don't think it's there yet, but it's definitely on a captivating captivating path. And uh, one thing that I will say at the end of that at the end of that season, there's a few very choice scenes that reminded me of 
a lot of my responses to Game of Thrones in general where I just want the scene to end because he's happy right now and I know something <laughs> bad is going to happen. Please don't let that bad thing happen. Just stop it. Just let's cut it dry and let him go. Yeah. You're like Phoebe from Friends when her parents wouldn't show her the end of movies. I am exactly like Phoebe from Friends. In every single way, Ben is exactly like Phoebe from Friends. We've always said this. <laughs> um, Casey, now I'm flipping the question of what are you looking forward to next to you? Can I say more Game of Thrones? I've been kind of anticipating season five for a while now, and I'm I'm super excited to watch more of it. I especially want to see, um, you know, in the in the season premiere, we've got no Arya. I need to see what's up with Arya. Um, I know we're going to Dorne this season, and that's a really cool place full of you know excellent female characters. Um, so that's what I'm looking forward to. That's a fair answer. We'll allow it. Uh, <laughs> mostly because you had things you were actually specifically looking forward to. Right. Uh, I'm going to... This is such a random pick, and I know it's a random pick, but right now I'm just... You know, it's like my bag is full of screeners right now, and the one I'm really looking forward to popping open and watching, and I just haven't really dug into it yet, is... This logo combination series called Cucumber Banana. It's actually, I don't have physical screeners for it. I just have digital. But the point is, Cucumber Banana, which actually premieres tonight as we post this, is uh, this really intriguing show from the creator of Queer as Folk uh, in the UK, Russell T. Davies. Brilliant, brilliant writer. And he's done something really special with this, where it's an hour-long drama that airs in conjunction with a half-hour drama that is... You know, basically, it works in companionship with the main series, but tracks an entirely different set of characters and really provides a unique set of voices. We're going to have an interview with Russell T. Davies on the on the on the site uh, to go along with the show's launch. But the big thing is, I just really. I want to. I, it's you know we're talking about another fifteen hours of television that I just can't wait to dig into. Oh man, good deep cut, Liz. Way to go. That's what we're looking for here. Something that maybe people haven't heard of. Cucumber banana. Very unique title. It's um, a, well, it's, it's at, cucumber's the name of the um, hour long show, and the banana is the name of the half hour show. Of course, because those that just makes perfect sense to it's, everyone who'd hear it randomly. Uh, for those who wonder, it refer it's a apparently some sort of, a, a, some sort of sliding scale terminology regarding um, the tumescence of manhood. Mm-hmm. All right, that works, uh, and that somewhat segues into what I was going to say that I'm looking forward to. Honestly, I'd be on Casey's side of things where I'm really just looking forward to more Mad Men. Sure. I just want the next six episodes to be on my desk. But you right can't now. say what you're looking forward to with that, so... I know, there's no way of predicting what could be happening in Mad Men. I'm, I'm guessing in episode two they get back to Sally, which we all know by now because it's Monday, but anyway, <laughs> um, I am very, 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 very excited to see the rest of Veep. Veep oh. Season 4 premiered last night for you wonderful listeners at home. It's right after Game of Thrones. Please just stay on HBO. Keep watching the show. You need a solution to the doldrums of you know harsh reality or harsh fantasy. So be it in Game of Thrones. Veep is the perfect antidote. Just sit there, watch it, enjoy. It is as scathing and brutal in its verbiage as as Game of Thrones is with its swords and, and fights and, and that's quite that's quite poetic horribleness till the end but yeah I, I can't wait for more V everybody watch V I'm gonna be on you about it in multiple ways yes um, and with that I think that wraps it up for us uh, let's see 
Uh, you can follow Casey Cipriani at Casey Sip, a CIP, I believe. It is. All right. And Casey, where can you find Ben? You can find Ben at Ben T. Travers. Whoa, you're right. That's where you can find me. And if you're looking for Liz, and I know you are, you can find her at Lizlet. That's with an I and an E. L-I-Z-L-E-T at Twitter. (laughs) And uh, you can find all of us writing about our favorite shows and also the shows that you need to know about, need to care about, maybe you need to watch even, uh, on IndieWire.com. So thank you all very much for listening, and we will be... Thanks for having me, guest star. I hope I get nominated for an Emmy. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I think we'll have to look at the rules to determine whether or not you're... What, what category of Eddie Emmy you're eligible for? Guest star on a podcast... It's going to be I'm, in the creative arts I beat Uzo Aduba somehow. Time. Yeah. It's going to be in there. Yes. Guaranteed. Yes. Thank you so much awesome. for joining us, Casey. It's been a great to have you. And uh, everyone, keep watching television.